Psalm 63. The title for this psalm begins, A Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your glory, your power and your glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the notches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, and your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. This is the word of the Lord. We're in a series right now called Soul Songs. We're taking just a brief journey this summer, just taking some time to consider what is the songbook of the scriptures that express in words sometimes the things that our souls just do not know how to say. I've been there, you've probably been there before, in a moment, in a season of hurt and pain, or maybe just even rejoicing, and you're like, I I just don't have the words. Human words just don't cut it. And there's been many times I've had to open scriptures to find the words that can accurately describe what I'm feeling in my heart. And we come across David's psalm in the wilderness this morning. Now, I think it's kind of fitting. This was not planned. I know some of you think there's some sort of conspiracy that I secretly called the school to turn off the AC to make it feel like a desert and a wilderness in here. I did not do that this morning. And so this is divine providence that God has brought us to this psalm today to teach us in a tangible way our souls being thirsty, right? By the way, we've got waters to your right. We don't want anybody feeling lightheaded or anything like that. Please, you can even get up now. It's not a distraction if you want to grab a bottle of water here uh, this morning. But we, we come into this text and we see right, right away that uh, the Psalms, the, the composer of the Psalms, he, he gives this description of, of what David was going through as he wrote this Psalm. It's a Psalm of David, the same David who slew Goliath with that sling and that stone, the same David who was a shepherd boy and wrote Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, the same David who also was anointed king and was actually ruling as king up until this moment. And it says that he's going out into the wilderness of Judah. We know there were a couple of times where he had to wander in the, Judah, in the wilderness to flee from uh, attacks from those who would seek to kill him. But I think that there are clues in this text that point to one specific situation. It comes as David has already been coronated as king. He's been ruling from Jerusalem and, and he's allowed to see He's been allowed to see the kingdom of Israel just prosper, and his capital has been set up in Jerusalem. And he begins to have many children, many children, and God blesses him. He's got many children, but, but these children start to see the effects of, of sin that's passed on from generation to generation. And Absalom, his son, 
wants to kill his dad, David. Now, I don't know about you, I've, I've never had any of my kids that they vocalized to me that they wanted to wipe me out, thankfully. And I can't imagine what that feels like, but David's feeling this in this moment. See, what's happened is Absalom, he's, he's kind of been a problem child up to this point. Um, in fact, he, he already killed his brother. Uh, and some might, people might think that his brother had it coming. Uh, his brother Amnon had actually uh, raped their sister Tamar. There's a lot of ugliness in the Bible. Did you know that? There's a lot of ugliness in the Bible. And so this happens. And so David is, is mad because Amnon has done this to his sister Tamar. And then he's mad also because Absalom has decided to take justice into his own hands and kill his brother. Well, not only that, there's these rifts and there's these divisions that are happening in the family. And then Absalom actually plans a coup. He says, he says don't you think I would be a better king? Why are we waiting for David? He's becoming weak, my dad. Let's just name me king now. And so he starts this coup and he raises up this, this group that wants to coronate now Absalom in the place of his father. But how do you do that when you've got a reigning king and you want to put his son in his place? They both can't be king. What do you got to do? Well, you wipe out dad, right? And so David feels the threat. He knows Absalom's got a force that's coming in to Jerusalem and he does not want to fight his son. And so instead of standing up to his son and fighting his son, he says, I'm just going to go. I'm going to flee. And that's what happens here. And we see this in, in 2 Samuel chapter 15 and 16. And I'll just read a few verses for you so you can kind of get the, the passion and the emotion and the sadness of this, of this story. 2 Samuel chapter 15, verses 13 to 14, it says, A messenger came to David saying, The hearts of the men of Israel have gone after your son Absalom. Then David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee or else there will be no escape from, uh, for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly and bring down ruin on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And this is what it looked like and sounded like as David and his family left Jerusalem. Verse 23 of 2 Samuel 15, all the land wept aloud as all the people passed by. And the king crossed the brook Kidron and all the people passed on toward the wilderness. But it got worse. It got worse as David is passing from the hill where Jerusalem is built, and he's passing that Kidron Valley, and he's climbing up the Mount of Olives across the way to the east of Jerusalem. It says, as David went up, in verse 30 of 2 Samuel 15, David went up on the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, walking and crying and weeping barefoot, and with his head covered. This is a man in mourning. And all the people who were with him covered their heads as they went up, weeping as they went. What a sad, sad scene. What a sad scene. I mean, they're leaving this beautiful city, and they're heading east. I've been there. I've been to Jerusalem. I've been up on a tower right there in the old city. And it's an amazing sight to see when you're up on that tower with a bird's eye view. You can look down. You could see the city. But as you look to the east, all you see is wilderness and desert. And that's where David was heading. 2 Samuel 16 goes on to describe that the situation is even worse than all of this. In chapter 16, verse 5, it says, When King David came to Baharim on the way heading out to the east, there came a man out of the family of the house of Saul. This was Saul, the former king whom David had displaced after Saul was killed in battle and David was raised up. And this man's name was Shimei, the son of Gera. And as he came, he cursed continually. He thought, here's my chance to get back at David. He threw stones at him. 
and all the servants of King David, and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And Shemai said as he cursed, get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into your hand, the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. Not only is he weeping, not only is he barefoot, not only is he leaving because he knows that he could be killed by his very own son, but on top of that, he's got someone from Saul's family cursing him on his way out. And finally, it says in chapter 16, verses 13 to 14, so David and his men went on the road while Shemai went along on the hillside opposite him and cursed him. I mean, he had to follow him so that he could hear these taunts and these curses as he went, and he threw stones at him and flung dust. And the king and all the people who were with him arrived weary at the Jordan. What a journey. What a journey. Walking along barefooted, knowing that your son is raised up of a a force that wants to kill you, and then you've got this man taunting you. David had, had arrived at a wilderness place. He was in the desert. Literally and spiritually. I think I've got a picture here of the yeah, the wilderness of Judah, west of Jericho. How would you like to live there? How would you like to go on a barefoot hike there? Um, it's dry. My wife and I, we, we got to spend uh, some time there when we were in college. And uh, that valley that you see there, it's, it's a wadi. It's where the water rushes through. And, and we actually did a hike down in that wadi. And it's some of like the nastiest still water you could ever imagine. Um, it's just a, amazing to see how dry it is. And, and as David is penning this psalm, Psalm 63, this is his scenery. You know, some of you go on vacation. I was just at the, the beach in North Carolina a few weeks ago, and I felt all kinds of inspiration. Lord, this is beautiful. This is awesome. My feet are in the Atlantic Ocean, and the breeze is blowing. And I'm like, well, I feel inspired, right? How about this for inspiration? How about this? The wilderness in the desert. And David has to ask himself this question. I'm leaving the place where God's presence dwells back in Jerusalem with the Ark of the Covenant and all of that. And I'm coming into this wilderness, into this desert. Is God with me in the wilderness? I've lost my kingdom, my possessions, my protection. What do I have left? Just this week, we've been weeping. Uh, Some of us, uh, you know, that might know or have been to or have seen people from uh, Maui, right? We've seen this paradise on the shores of Maui and Lahaina just get burned to the ground. This place that was a paradise has been turned into a wasteland. People have lost their homes, their possessions. And as of this morning, when I looked at it, 89 people have lost their lives in this fire in a moment. This paradise has turned into a wasteland. What's happened for David? He was in the God's city. He was God's chosen man. And now he's walking in this wasteland. He's walking in the desert. And I want to ask you today, what does God want to teach us when we're in the desert? What does God want to show us in this soul psalm, this soul song that David wrote? What are we to see that happens that we can understand and know in ways that we never could when we get out in the desert? And here's our big idea this morning. The desert helps us see that God is all we need. 
the desert, the wilderness wanderings, the journeys, they help teach us that when everything is stripped away, all of our comforts, all of our pleasures, all that we long for and hope for in this life, when all of that is taken away and we have seasons like that that David is going through, we see and we learn in a deeper, more profound sense than we've ever learned before that God is all we need. The desert helps us see that God is all we need. We'll see this in three ways. And usually I don't do this, but man, I came across a great little commentary by Derek Kidner on the Psalms. And uh, his outline was too good. I said, I can't improve on that. So I'm borrowing his this morning. But we see here in the desert that God reveals our desire. Secondly, God restores our delight. And thirdly, God remains our defense. Our desire, our delight, in our defense, and that's what we learn in the wilderness and in the desert. Let's take a look here, and I'll try to be brief because I know if you're like me right now, I got some sweat dripping down my back here a little bit, so let's move on. In the desert, God reveals our desire, verses one through four. He says this, oh God, you are my God. Now you may think to yourself, that's, why is he repeating himself? That's so redundant. Oh God, you are my God. Well, duh, right? Why even saying that? Well, it wasn't true in David's day. You see, there were nations that, that the Israel, Israelites lived next to. They, they had all kinds of gods. They had, they had all kinds of idols. They, they worshipped many kinds of gods. They sacrificed to these gods. They gave their loyalty and their devotion to these gods. In fact, that was, that was what the whole uh, experience was. If you just look back a few books before uh, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, we see the book of Judges. There was no king in Israel. I've been reading through Judges recently. It just It's the most heinous book in all the Bible. I mean, it's inspired by God, but it just breaks your heart as you see the people are just chasing after any God that they want. And so there were many gods in the nations, but David in the wilderness says, Lord, look, you've led me out here, and right now my loyalty is being tested in the wilderness. But I say, God, you are still my God. That's the first thing we got to do when we get in the wilderness. We have to put our feet in the ground and say, when I see that scenery of death and destruction and I see just everything around me feels like a wasteland in my heart and in my soul and in my mind, first thing I have to recognize is that, God, you are my God. You know, when Job, Job had everything taken away, he got before God and he said, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He didn't turn his back on God. He didn't curse God, but he said, right here in this moment, I don't understand what you're doing in this wilderness, but my loyalty is yours. God, you are my God. And he says, earnestly, I seek you. I'm reaching out with you. I'm seeking for you with all of my might. It's hard to see you. It's hard to feel you right now, but Lord, I'm crying out to you and I'm looking for you. And he says this, and I love this language because I think we're gonna feel it this morning. My flesh faints for you in a dry and weary and, and, and humid even auditorium, right? My flesh faints for you where there is no water. That's why we got you bottles of water this morning, right? But here's David. You saw the picture of that wasteland. You go down deep into that water. You're not, you're not going to take water from there. That water will kill you. Where am I going to find water? But David's not talking. It's interesting here. David's not talking about physical water. I'm sure they brought that for the journey. That's why they ended at the Jordan. It's where the Jordan River where they can get fresh water. But he's saying this. Look at the, look at the language here in verse 1. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. 
What he's saying here is this. It's, the, it's not just that my, my throat is parched, that I'm feeling a little dehydrated, but my soul feels dehydrated. My soul feels thirsty. My heart feels cold. My heart feels heavy and dry. And so God, I could take as much water as I want to sip right now, but there's nothing that I could take from the ground or bring with me from Jerusalem or find at the river Jordan that can quench the thirst of my soul. I'm being hated. I'm being cast out. I'm being chased down. And there's, I feel unloved. I feel abandoned. I feel hated. Shimei has just followed me and been throwing rocks at me and cursing me. I feel smaller than an ant. My soul is dried up like a raisin. And just like I would thirst for you in this dry and weary land, when I've been through this before, David is saying, I'm thirsting for you. There's a thirst that I'm experiencing in my whole body that only one person can quench, and that's you, O Lord. So he says, earnestly, I seek you. Just like in the desert, we don't have too many deserts out here. Boy, drive out to, uh, drive out to California, Death Valley, the Mojave Desert. You'll see there's no water there. This is far beyond asking for physical water in the desert. David is calling on the Lord from the heart. There's one time uh, I mentioned to you, my wife and I got to spend a semester in Israel, and we were taking a hike through the hill country. I mean, it was cool. But usually in the hill country, you go along with the ridgeline. For some reason, our professors, they decided to go like over the ridgelines. And so it was quite a journey. Now, uh, I have to tell you this. I was 21 years old. I had a, a, a little less weight and a lot more hair. And uh, I was very fit. And so I didn't think anything of going on this journey. Uh, I don't know if I had food poisoning or whatever the day before. But we start on this hike and all of a sudden, I'm just, my head is feeling light. My stomach is starting to hurt, and I think to myself, this is humiliating. Like, <laughs> my wife and I were just dating at the time. I'm like, I am going to make a fool of myself here. This wimp can't even handle this hike. And so we continue on and on and on, and finally, over and over and over again, I'd have to stop and sit and wait to catch my breath and get up again, and eventually, I just lost all fluids that I had put in my body, and I laid on the ground, and I couldn't move a muscle. They had to rush me to the emergency room and I had to get fluids in me and all this stuff, but it was a terrible, terrible experience. I know what it's like to be in a dry and weary land right here in the wilderness of Judah. Sometimes we do that to ourselves. We continue on and on and on in this journey. David in the wilderness says, I have to stop and go to the only one that can quench my thirst. Some of you are on a journey today. You might be in the wilderness and you think, I just got to keep going. I just got to keep going. I'm strong enough. I can handle this. I can do it. But God is saying, when are you going to stop and realize that the only thing that can truly satisfy your soul is not your job. It's not your promotion. It's not your spouse. It's not your retirement. It's not that next vacation that you're planning for for next summer. It's only found in me. I'm the only one that can truly satisfy your thirst and your soul. And so we see that God allows us to be in these wilderness moments so that he would reveal to us that what we desire deep down in our core of our being more than anything else in this world is not fame or fortune or, or, or identity or some sort of accomplishment. It's saying, 
I need to know this God who created me and experience his steadfast love. I love what verse three says. He says, your steadfast love is better than life. Your steadfast love, Lord, is better than life. What a statement. I mean, for for us right now, we'd say, Lord, your, your steadfast love is better than air conditioning, right? I'd love if we get that AC back on, but your steadfast love is better than life. This is the real test, I think, and and David is showing us here in this psalm the true test of where our heart is when we're in the desert. You see, David had everything taken away. He couldn't live in his home any longer. He had his son chasing him. It felt like he was about to lose his kingdom, but here in this moment, he says, this wasteland is a perfect picture of where I am in my life right now, and he says, Lord, you can have it all but your steadfast love, your loving kindness, a relationship with you, your loyalty to me and how you show your grace and mercy to me, having that experience and knowing that, that I'm close to you, it's better than anything I could ever have in this life. You see, the Lord allows us to experience seasons when all of our comforts, when all of our securities where all of our badges of honor either even can be stripped away so that all that remains is him. That's what happens in the wilderness. It reveals where our true desires are. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. He, he writes this, if I find myself in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. I was made for a place where my desires can truly be satisfied. I can't satisfy it in, in sexual fulfillment or, or in my appetites or, or I can't satisfy that in a, in a driven career or a promotion or a place or a, a badge of honor. I was created for something else because none of these things in this world can satisfy the place of my soul that can be touched by one alone in another world and that's by God himself. I was made for something more something more deep. That's what, the, that's what the wilderness reveals in our hearts. You may be in the wilderness today. You may have come from the wilderness. You may be heading into a wilderness even right now. I hope that this moment will allow you to see in this moment that there isn't anything. When all is stripped away, there isn't anything in this world that can satisfy your heart as God can. I love the old hymn, goes like this, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. Pretty much is saying, your steadfast love is better than life, Jesus. And the song goes like this, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Only he can satisfy your soul. What are you, what are you seeking today, friends? As you came here this, today and as you're getting ready to start another school year with family and friends and Another uh, season uh, where, you're, where you're pursuing your careers and, and your hopes and dreams and goals. Let the wilderness of David teach you a lesson today. Teach me a lesson. Only God can reveal to us that our desires can only be satisfied in him. Secondly, we see in this passage uh, that God restores our delight, verses five through eight. 
<clears throat> David says, I'm looking forward to something. My desire is found in him, and I'm trusting, even in this wilderness, that my soul will be satisfied. That he will restore my delight in him again. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. Again, I don't believe he's talking about physical food. He's using physical food as a metaphor for what he feels in his soul. And so he's saying, I'm putting my foot down in faith to say, as though I'm going through this wilderness, I believe God is going to do something in my heart and my soul that I could never imagined. He's going to do it. And my mouth is going to praise him with joyful lips. Right now, my mouth is weeping. We saw that in, in, in 2 Samuel 15 and 16. His mouth was literally weeping. But he says, my mouth is going to turn from weeping and sorrow and mourning. And it's going to turn into praise and thanksgiving. He's looking forward to a day that he cannot yet see. Well, how is he doing this? It's, it says in verse 6, when I remember you upon my bed and meditate you upon you in the watches of the night. You see, he's looking for God. And he's saying, I'm remembering you in my bed. I'm, I'm looking back at all the ways that you've sustained me. Maybe he's rehearsing Psalm 23 in his heart and mind again as he, that he wrote maybe as a shepherd boy. Lord, you are my shepherd. You will lead me in green pastures and quiet waters. You will restore my soul. I have a track record of what you've done in the past and I believe that you're gonna restore my delight back to me. And so he's, he's meditating on this. He's thinking about it. What do you think about when you get in the wilderness? What do you think about? You, a lot of you are just amazing problem solvers. We have amazing problem solvers in this church. I'm so grateful for that. Our elders are problem solvers. Many of our ministry team leaders, all of you, I mean, some of you are paid for as, for as a living to solve problems, right? You're amazing people, so incredibly competent. But even the best problem solvers in the world find wildernesses that they get into. They say, I have no solutions for this. Where can I go? My health is out of my control. My future, my investments, all that I've been hoping in, I, there's just some problems that I have no answers for. What does David do? He's the king of Israel. He says, I'm gonna meditate on what God has done. I love the song we sang this morning. What he's done, what he's done. I thank God for what he's done. That's a great place to be in the wilderness. Remembering what God has done in the past can help fix our eyes on what he could do for us in the future to satisfy our souls once again. He's remembering, he's meditating in the watches of the night. He says, you've been my help and in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. I'm coming back. I'm finding my shelter here. I can't live in my palace any longer. I'm out here in the wilderness. But God, even though I have no palace, even though I have no city, even though I have no home, you will be my shelter and I will take shelter under your wings. You've been my help. And so he says, what else could I do? I'm trusting that you're gonna restore my delight, so I'm looking forward to that day, and right now I just wrap my arms around you, Lord. My soul clings to you, clings to you. I remember when my kids were really little and we'd ride on roller coasters. We, we were a roller coaster family. We like roller coasters. <clears throat> but that first time they went on a big roller coaster sitting next to them, you could just feel them clinging to your arm, right? Clinging. You're almost losing the feeling in your arm because they're clinging onto it tight. And thankfully for all my kids, they were like, let's do it the second time. And the second time they had their hands in there. They didn't even care any longer. But when you feel that moment of fear and dread, you don't know what the next turn is going to look like. God says, cling to my arm. Cling to me. Don't you remember how I've protected you in the past? 
Can't you trust that I'm going to provide for your soul fat and rich food for your soul in the future? So here's my arm. Cling to me. Cling to me. Who do you cling to in the wilderness? Who do you cling to? Do you cling to your God? Do you cling to your your problem-solving abilities? Do you cling to your spouse? Do you cling to your friends and family? Cling to God. He is the one that can carry you and be the shelter for you that you can reside under his wings. I love these psalms. David penned these psalms as well. Psalm 37.4 says this, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Look to him to satisfy the things that can only satisfy your souls. Delight yourself in him and he will give you the desires of your heart. There was a few se- a season I was in the wilderness just a few years ago. I felt like, Lord, there's just desires in my heart. It was a desire actually to be, to be a pastor, to be here with you today. Lord, I felt like I don't know what the next turn is for me. I don't know where I'm supposed to go. And he brought me to Psalm 37. He says, Matthew, you don't have to figure that out. He says, delight yourself in me and I'll give you the desires of your heart. And I have to confess, I didn't do it perfectly, but I got on my knees and said, Lord, what else could I do? It's all out of my hands. I trust in you. Well, friends, that's all God wants. He's not expecting you to figure it out in the wilderness. He's saying, will you cling to me and will you delight yourself in me? so I can give you the desires of your heart. I love this, Psalm 34, verse eight says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man, woman, person who takes refuge in him. You know, that's that's what we do as as we live sent with our friends and our family. You know, we wanna go live sent with the good news message of Jesus Christ, of what he's done and, and what he can do for our lives to transform us and give us eternal life. Really, it's like we're inviting people to the, to the buffet. Come, taste, and see that the Lord is good. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Close your eyes for a moment. Just imagine, what does the Lord taste like? What has he done in your life? Those moments of fear and doubt and anguish, how he came to your soul. And he said, I want to give you peace that surpasses all understanding. Maybe you could look back and taste and remember, "Mm, I remember that time where I fell on my face miserably. I was deep in sin. I rebelled against God. I hurt family. I hurt friends. I hurt myself. But God's grace came and it covered me. And he forgave me. And he loved me. And he restored me. Ooh, taste and see that the Lord is good what David is doing in the wilderness. He's saying, Lord, you can restore the delight back to my soul. So there he is. The desert has revealed his desires. When everything else is stripped away, God, you're all I've got left. Your loving kindness is better than life. And not only that, Lord, I'm looking forward to that day that you restore the delight back to my heart and to my soul when I could see bright days again in the midst of this dark wilderness. But there's a problem, Lord. I can't go back to my palace. I can't go back to my city. I've got enemies who are chasing me down. What do you want me to do? Do you want me to raise up an army? Do you want me to go out there and start chasing Absalom down and putting him in prison? Or or maybe he should be judged and, and put to death, capital punishment. What do you want me to do, Lord? And David remembers, I I can wait on him because he can be my defense. That's our third point. Even in the desert, God remains our defense. 
David waits and trusts in God's power to vindicate him and to protect him. Those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the sword. They shall become a portion for the jackals. There's not going to be anything left of him. But Lord, you are going to look down upon the king. That's why I think he's speaking of himself now as king. But the king shall rejoice in God. You're going to restore me back. You've made a promise to me in the past, and you will fulfill that promise in the future. You will restore the king, and the king shall rejoice in you. In fact, not only will the king rejoice in you, all who swear by the king, all who've stayed by my side, all who have been loyal to me, they're going to praise you. They're going to exalt. They're going to bless you. They're going to glorify you. There's coming a day, not because we're going to come on with all these armies and swords and horses and chariots. No, but because even in the wilderness, even though I'm exposed, you see, the wilderness was a dangerous place. If David would camp out there, he was vulnerable to attacks. You know, there wasn't any defense. See, the safety was found in the cities because there were big walls and there were armies that could protect him. Out in the wilderness, he was defenseless on a human level, but he realized that God was his defense. God will fulfill his promise to the king he's chosen and all who align themselves themselves with God's chosen king will be delivered. This is David's moment of hope and his faith and of faith. God made a promise to David. He said, David, you're my chosen king. You're my anointed man. And there's going to be coming a king that comes after you that is going to reign forever and ever. You will never have a moment where you do not have a son seated on the throne of Israel. And there's a coming a day when there's going to be a king from your line, David, that is going to rule over all the earth. And David in this moment is saying, I don't see how this is going to happen here in the wilderness. I'm defenseless. But God says, I will be your defender. A thousand years later, there was a a greater king that walked in this exact same wilderness. A son of David. And this king, as he walked, uh, Satan came to him and tempted him three times. And this king that came from David's line said, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This king from David's line that came a thousand years later that also walked in this wilderness, he realized and understood that the loving kindness of his father was better than even than his life. How do we know this? Because he gave his life on the cross This king is Jesus, the one who entered the wilderness for you and for me. See, where we we put our loves and our satisfactions and other things, this king came along in the desert and said, the will of my father will be my greatest satisfaction. My love for him and his love for me is the thing that makes my heart beat. This king, Jesus, is our defender. He's our life giver, and he gives living water to those who have thirsty souls, Again, friends, that's our big idea this morning, that the desert helps us see that God is all we need. He met a woman. He met a woman on the road. He was traveling in Samaria, and he met this woman who was going to draw water from a well in Samaria. And this woman looks at him because Jesus says, would you give me a drink? And and this woman looks at Jesus in John chapter 4. We see in verse 9, she says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? The Samaritans and the Jews, they didn't have much, any fellowship at all. But Jesus says this. 
in this woman's wilderness. This woman was, was sinful. She had been living and sleeping around with all different kinds of men, and she was living in a spiritual wilderness, and Jesus sees that, and he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, sir, you have no, nothing to draw with, and, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Jesus said to her, because she's thinking about physical water, and he's saying, I want to satisfy your soul. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again out of that well. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That's the king of David. That's what he gives us. That's what Jesus gives us is this water that satisfies deep down into our souls. You see, we got it better than David, friends. You may think to yourself, well, well David had it right, but what, what can I do? What can I experience to fill, feel that soul-satisfying quench deep down in my soul? Jesus says, I want to give you living water. What is that living water? It's the Holy Spirit that lives in you and lives in me lives in all who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ in truth. Jesus says, I'll give you living water that will satisfy your soul so that no matter what wilderness you may walk into, you can find that you've got a spring of living water deep down inside you. I wanna ask you today, is your soul thirsty? Is your life thirsty? Is your heart thirsty? I've been feeling it this week and I, I don't know what it is. I, I don't know if it's the change in our our season, getting out of summer, getting into a new school year, but I just feel this desperation. Lord, how are you going to lead this church and myself and this family and all of us together? How are you gonna lead us to live sent? And you know what? There's a lot of times I start thinking, well, maybe we should try this. Maybe we should try that. And I think, I don't know that I have the answers. And sometimes I feel like I'm walking in a wilderness myself. And in this wilderness, God has been revealing to me through this psalm, and I hope he's helping you see it here today, that he wants you to see that only he can satisfy those deepest desires. He can be the one that brings satisfaction to your soul. He could be your defense. And so we're gonna trust in God together. What do we do as we come out of this summer season? Maybe you feel exhausted. Maybe summer has not been uh, resting for you. Maybe it's been busier than ever. Oh, that today we would come and say, we're gonna drink from the water of life, even in this wilderness. We're gonna come to the one that satisfies our souls. We're gonna be the kinds of people that say, Lord Jesus, your loving kindness is better than life. I can give up my possessions. I can give up my hopes and dreams if you take them away as long as I have you. Because the desert helps us see that God is all we need. In closing, we gotta ask ourselves, what does this mean for Monday? What does this mean for Monday? What does this mean for you tomorrow? I think we gotta be the kinds of people that say, when I'm wandering the desert, God, you alone will satisfy my heart. You alone will satisfy my heart. And as we close here in just a moment, I'll invite the worship team to come on up because I think I'm, uh, I'm drenched up here. So we need to move on here. We gotta ask ourselves, what do we do when we're in the deserts? Do we look to God to satisfy our souls? Whether you realize it or not, God is all you need. Take a moment right now and just breathe. 
God is the air for your lungs. He's the water for your parched souls. He's the food for your starving hearts. Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall see God. They shall taste and see that the Lord is good. And maybe you're in the wilderness right now and you've felt like, you know what, I, I am feeling so frustrated because the things that make me feel comfortable and the things that I've loved that have been been taken away from me. Now is the opportunity to taste and see that the Lord is still good. Maybe you feel like the farthest thing from your heart and your appetite of your soul right now is righteousness. Lord, I I just want this problem to go away. I I just want these bills to get paid. I just want my my kid to, to finally start doing what I asked them to do. I do have kids that do that, by the way. I'm just saying hypothetically, right? I just want my kids to do what I'm asking. I just don't want my spouse to leave me. I just don't want to deal with this hurt anymore. I don't want to deal with this anxiety anymore. But like David, we can lift up our hands and say, Oh Lord, your loving kindness is better than life. You're the water that I drink. You're the food that I eat. You're the air that I breathe. So teach me, Lord, right now. Fix my appetite because today I don't hunger and thirst for righteousness, but I want to see you. So would you fix my appetite? We're going to sing a song right here in just a few moments that goes like this. You're the breath in my lungs. How does it go, JT? It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise. And as we sing that, we just want to breathe. God, you're the air in my lungs. Lord, you're the water that I drink. Lord, you're the food that I eat. Even in the wilderness, you are all I need. If you haven't been living that way today, today's a moment because he's full of grace. He says, you can come, you can drink. Why have you been going to all those broken cisterns that can't hold water and paying so much money for it and it's just been washing away? Why don't you come to me, the spring of life today? The offer is here today, friend. Whether you're doing it for the first time or the 50th time, I wanna invite you today, come and taste and see. Come and taste and see. Drink of this water and find that his loving kindness is better than life, even in the wilderness.